Grab your Bible and turn to the book of uh, Psalms. We're going to be in chapter 106. Psalm 106. Yes. I, absolutely. What we can do is if, um, if I could maybe get um, Kirby and Andrew at the end of the service, if y'all would grab a couple of uh, either the plates or, I don't know, do we have chicken buckets still? <laughs> Grab a chicken bucket or something. If y'all don't mind, just kind of stand back. And if you want to donate toward that today, then you're welcome to do that. But we're still going to, if the church decides so, Wednesday night we're going to make a decision as to whether we support this as a church. And, um, and I'd like to see us be able to do that. But if you personally would like to give, we welcome that as well. Psalm chapter 106, we're going to read verses 36 through 45. I want to talk to you this morning for just a moment about our responsibility as Christians to help protect the unborn. Psalm chapter 106, beginning in verse 36. It says, They served their idols, which became a snare to them, and they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts, and they played the whore in their deeds. And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against His people, and He abhorred His heritage. Now I want you to notice something real quick while we're reading this. He starts out talking about their sin. This is the sin, this is what they've done. And then he moves into how it angers him and how it makes him sick. That word abhor literally means that it made God sick when he saw what he saw. But he doesn't have to stay that way. This is the reason why we're here today. God's grace is like a storm. All right, so let's keep reading. So he gave them into the hands of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. So there was judgment because of his anger. Their enemies oppressed them and they were brought in, into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. But I love verse 44 because we go from the sin to the anger to the judgment and then we move to this right here. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the, to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. You can be seated. I love the progression that, that we see in that as we look and we see the sinfulness of all mankind. You know, we've been talking about doctrine for several weeks and I've stepped away from that today because of uh, uh, basically the sanctity of life. Uh, wanting to take a little bit of time to focus on that. But one of the doctrines that we covered was the total depravity of man. And the truth of the matter is, is that every one of us are capable of these very things right here. You are not exempt. We would look at something like that and, and we would say, 
they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons, according to verse 37. Now think about that for just a minute. Literally what this probably looked like, and I know this is gory and this is terrible, but this is, this is just the truth of it. They literally took their sons and their daughters and probably slit their throats and put them on altars before their idols and watched them die. And we would look at something like that and we would go, how in the world could anybody do something like that? Listen, it's in the heart of every one of you. The Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Bible tells us that there is none good, not even one. No one seeks God. No one does good, not even one. The difference is this. While you may not be as evil as some, or while you may not have went as evil as you could have, the truth of the matter is your heart is already there and it can go there. And so I want to be careful this morning when we talk about this. For anyone who has made these decisions, I want you to understand at least two things. Number one, it is desperately wicked. It is. It is literally sacrificing your children, and I'm going to get into that here in just a minute and teach just a little bit about that. It is literally sacrificing your children. But the other thing I want you to understand is that God knows that we're all capable of it. And even though it makes Him sick, for those who would cry out to Him with understanding and have their eyes opened by the Holy Spirit to the evilness of their sin. For those who would do that, I love the fact that it ends with God saying, Nevertheless, I saved them. Nevertheless, I forgave them. Because of their cry, because of their repentance, because of their acknowledgement of their sin, I forgave them. So I want you to understand this morning that whoever this affects, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness and that's reason to praise God about. I love... Um, we're probably not going to put it on the screen, but if you were to go to the beginning of Psalm 106, you'll notice that the very beginning of the, the, the chapter here starts with praise unto God. And it actually starts with the praise by saying in verse 1, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. So the way the psalmist starts out is saying, Listen, God is so worthy of praise and then he moves into that, into all of these sins that we have committed. This is just one that we covered. If you read the whole chapter, it covers a whole list of sinfulness. But then it moves from that sinfulness into saying, and even though there is judgment and there is anger because of this sinfulness, there is also mercy and there is forgiveness and his steadfast love endures forever and forever. And for those who will recognize their sin and cry out to forgiveness... He saves them. And that is something to shout and give God praise about. And that's the reason why the end of the psalm, in Psalm 106, verse 40, um, 47 and 48, says this, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory and your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. 
praise the Lord. So this psalm begins with praise to God and this psalm ends with praise to God and stuck in the middle of this thing is all this wickedness of man and yet the salvation from God as a result of Him opening our eyes and allowing us to see our sin. But one of the things I want to focus on this morning is this particular sin. Look with me again at verse 37. It says that they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. It literally called this a sacrifice. I want you to understand what this means. A sacrifice is this. Giving something, giving something up that is precious to you so that you might have something more desirable. Let me say that one more time. A sacrifice is you giving something up that is precious to you so that you might have something that is more desirable or it's giving something up that's precious to you to appease something or someone that is greater that has the ability or the power to give you what you desire. That is why we sacrifice. And so here's what they were doing. They were literally taking their children who were precious to them and they were saying, I'm going to offer this in the hopes that it gives me something that is more desirable. Well, let me ask you a question. How is abortion any different? Let's be honest. For the most part, and we'll look at other scenarios here in a minute because I want to look at both sides of this thing. But for the most part... When we choose abortion, we are saying, think about it like this. We're saying, I'm, okay, now uh, the young lady is pregnant or maybe the young man is convincing the young lady of this and he's saying, listen, we're young and we've got our whole life ahead of us and listen, it would just be better for us if this were not here. And so we're willing to sacrifice this in order that we might obtain something better. Would you agree with that? And so no matter which way you look at abortion, it is always saying, even, and and don't get me wrong, listen, I want to be very careful this morning because I want you to understand that I really do sympathize and have compassion on people that get in those kind of situations. I really do. I I know a lot of people say, well, you shouldn't have done the deed or you shouldn't have done... And and there is some truth to that. Right. But at the same time, how many of you have ever done something and you had to suffer consequences as a result of it? Can you have compassion for somebody that does the same thing? I can. And so what I want to be careful of is walking the line to understand that my heart needs to sympathize and have compassion toward these people, but at the same time, I have a responsibility to follow God and His way. And so I want to make sure that I think about the fact, what about the woman that gets raped and ends up pregnant? Can you sympathize with her thought of saying, I don't know that I can do this? I can. What if it's your daughter? What if it's your wife? I can sympathize with that. I can understand that. But even in that scenario, I want to show you from the Bible that it would be better for us to suffer in order to do the will of God than to make a decision that is easier for us to deal with. 
What about the health of uh, what about the health of the mother? Can you sympathize with that? A woman that has to make a decision to say either I take the chance at, at, at this child uh, killing me or I, or I have the abortion. I can sympathize. I can have compassion and I can understand the, the struggle that must take place in, in this woman's mind as she's having to deal with this. What if that's your daughter? And she has to make the choice. Do I carry this child and possibly take my life? What if that's your daughter? What do you do? Can you sympathize with that person? Absolutely. I can sympathize. But it also does not give me the right to not follow God in the case of this. Would it be better for my daughter to lose her life in the process of being obedient to God? As a Christian, I can say, yeah. As a human, I can say, I don't know that I can do that. Do you agree with that? But see, here's the problem. I'm not trying to appeal to your human side this morning. I'm trying to appeal to your Christian side that is, that is learning to follow God. So I want to teach you this morning that the Bible is very clear that it is a, a terrible thing. It says that they sacrifice. It's a terrible thing when we shed innocent blood. See, here's the thing about it. If it calls it a sacrifice, it literally means that whether it's the health of the mother or whether it's in the case of rape or whether it's just that we were young and dumb, no matter what the case is, it is always us saying, I'm willing to give this up in order that I might have something better. Even if that something better in my heart is my life. Even if that's something better in my heart is that I don't have to deal with the mental anguish of raising a child that was a result of something that was terrible in my life. And I can understand and I can sympathize with those things, but it is still a sacrifice. Look with me again at verse uh, 37 of Psalm 106. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. The next thing I notice in this is that the Bible could have said they sacrificed the children. But it says they sacrificed their sons and their daughters. I want you to think about this for a minute. These were little boys and these were little girls. These abortions that take place, 50 million in America. 50 million. Did you hear that? 50 million unborn babies that have been killed. And every one of them were little boys or little girls. They were little daughters or they were little sons and their lives were taken. Terrible thing. And it moves on in verse 38. It says, they poured out innocent blood. In other words, one of the things the Bible wants us to understand is that this blood of this child is innocent. Not because it's not going to be born with an evil heart just like all of us are with a sinful nature but because it has done nothing to deserve what we are fixing to do to this child. And this blood is innocent. And God says it angers him. Look with me, if you would, at the next verse. It says, um, in, at the end of verse 38, it says, Whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, 
and it caused the land to be polluted with this innocent blood. In verse 39, Thus they became unclean by their acts, and they played the whore in their deeds. And then verse 40, And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against His people, and He abhorred His heritage. In other words, here's what the Bible clearly teaches us. That it angers God and literally makes Him sick when we shed innocent blood, especially the blood of a son or a daughter or a child. And if we, the church, are the reflection of God's image on this earth, what should it do for us? It should absolutely anger us. It should absolutely make us sick. Again, at the same time, God has compassion. God can sympathize with our weaknesses. Hebrews chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 says that we don't have a great high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one that was tempted in every way, even as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne room of grace that we may receive mercy and grace and obtain help in our time of need. So while it does make us sick and while it should make, make us angry, at the same time, God also has the side that has sympathy and has compassion. And so that's what I love about this ministry that Anel is trying to be a part of. Listen, is every, is every young lady going to take advantage of this ministry? No. But 350 have. Out of 50 million... Just in Pulaski alone, just in Pulaski, out of 50 million across America in Pulaski, 350 have been ministered to and possibly saved. And we have a responsibility to make sure that we do everything we can to protect the lives of these innocent, unborn children. Look with me, if you would, at uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15 through 19. I want you to understand what I meant a minute ago whenever I said that um, it would be better for us to suffer in order to do the will of God than it would be for us to take the easy way out so that we wouldn't have to suffer. See, here's the problem, guys. Please listen to me. As Christians, we think that if it means we suffer, then it must not be God's will. That's what we think, honestly. We think, now listen, God would not mean for me to stay in this thing if it means my suffering. And that's the reason why I say I sympathize with a woman in rape or a woman that her life. But here's the thing about it. The truth of the matter is that the Bible teaches that the center of God's will is usually the center of suffering in this world. He says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer, or as a meddler. In other words, I'm not asking you to suffer for anything that is from your own doing. If, if that's your suffering, then you shouldn't be suffering from it. Don't do evil. Don't be a meddler. Don't, be, don't do these things that bring you suffering. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Go to verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Let me break that down for you real quick so you understand. 
Here's what Peter is saying. All the suffering that we have in this world, whether you're talking about rape, whether you're talking about health issues, whether you're talking about child molestation, no matter what kind of suffering you're talking about in this world, it is a result of the judgment and the wrath of God falling on this world. That's the reason why the world is cursed the way it is. Remember the, the um, total depravity message? The Bible said that God gave us over to debased minds because we did not want to retain God in our knowledge. So in other words, because we didn't want God, God said, okay, let me show you what a world looks like when you decide for yourself what's right and wrong. And people rape and people murder and people molest. And, and, and the body turns back to dust and the health goes bad. All of these things are a result of the judgment. And here's what he tells Christians. He said, it is time for judgment to begin in the house of God. So in other words, you ought to embrace these sufferings and understand that, that yes, it may be the judgment of God, but he is working it all together for my good as a child of his and if judgment, if these things are what God allows to continue to take place in your lives as Christians, what do you think the outcome will be for those who don't obey the gospel? You think these things are bad that he allows us to endure now? What do you think the outcome will be for the ones who don't obey the gospel? So then he goes on, let's go to verse 8, 18, I'm sorry. And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And then finally in verse 19, Therefore, here's the sum of it, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Here's what I'm trying to get across to you this morning. There will be situations in your Christian life that it will cause you to have to make a decision. If you're going to follow God, you'll have to make a decision that means you're suffering. Is it mean suffering for a woman that has been raped in order to continue to carry this thing? Yeah, it's going to be some mental anguish for a while. It's going to be a lot. But in order to follow the will of God and protect the life of that innocent blood, listen, did that child do anything? So here's the thing about it. Is it going to mean suffering on my part? Yeah. And again, I sympathize. I can't imagine being the husband that has to make... <laughs> I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you. Uh, I've, I've said this before. I've sit and watched daddies and mamas have to make decisions for their children. And I know they'd be godly people but not make a godly decision. And I sit back and I ask myself, as godly as I want to be and as godly as I try to be, could I make the same decision? How easy is it, is it us, for us to say, I am not going to let my child suffer. I'm not going to let my wife go through this. I'm not going to do it. It's much easier to do that than it is to say, God, I'm going to suffer according to your will and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to entrust my soul to you as a faithful creator while doing good. Sometimes being in the center of God's will means that you are going to have to suffer. So don't think for one minute that just because it means you're suffering that it can't be God's will and that gives me the escape to say I don't have to do this and I don't have to follow this path because that's absolutely not true. 
Jesus actually said it like this. He said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of slaughter, wolves. And wolves do what? Did you hear that? Listen to me one more time. Here's what Jesus told his disciples, his beloved. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. I don't know if you've watched any uh, Alaskan shows here lately, but do you know what wolves do to sheep? They tear them apart. And the truth of the matter is, in this world, in this cursed world, in this evil world, there are going to be many times that in the center of God's will means that you are in the worst suffering of your life. But here's what he tells us in James. Life is only a vapor. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials and diverse temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work so that you can be complete and lacking nothing. So here's what God says. Entrust your soul to me. I'm a faithful creator. And even though I may allow you to go through suffering right now as a result of judgment, as a result of the, the molding process, I know what I'm doing. And it's only momentary. It's only temporary. Let me tell you this, though. There was a survey taken. It may have been the Barna Group. I can't remember. But it was a survey taken of women who had become pregnant as a result of rape. All right? This survey showed that out of the majority of these women, the ones who chose to keep the child, the majority said they wouldn't change a thing. Now think about that for a minute. I actually know one that is that way today. She was raped. She became pregnant. Her and her husband, that was not the father of this child, raised this baby boy. Ended up, later on in life, this baby boy passed away. And it was the most heart-wrenching experience that this family had ever faced. And that was a baby that was a result of rape. Think about that for just a minute. The daddy that raised this child was not this child's daddy. This child was from a man that raped his wife. And he raised this child up to be his own son. And when this child passed away, it was something that he has never got over. I want you to think about this. Out of that same survey, out of the women that were raped and chose abortion, the majority of them continue today to struggle with great mental anguish, with depression, with anxiety, with all types of struggles as a result of that decision. What does that tell you about the, 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 our own consciences and what our own consciences know between right and wrong considering that decision? We know. The question is going to be, am I willing to endure suffering in my life in order to follow the will of God? Does that make sense? Again, don't hear your pastor saying this morning that I don't sympathize with you. Don't even hear me saying that if I have a daughter one day that I'll be strong enough to do it. I pray I will. I pray that I will. And I pray that some of y'all will be bold enough to beg me and to plead with me and to counsel me and to guide me so that I can make the right decision. 
But I also pray that you'll sympathize and you'll have compassion on me if I can't. So that's the balance that I'm trying to show you today. But we have a responsibility. Again, what I love about this ministry is that it provides a resource for these women to come to so that they can have this counsel, so that they can have this compassion, so that they can have the resources that they need. Like she said, they have this point system where they come in there and they earn points and they can have baby beds, they can have car seats, they can have uh, 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 diapers, wipes, anything that these mothers need, they can obtain them from this resource right here free of charge. Now you tell me if that's not a way to help protect the unborn in this county, I don't know what is. I love what, what they're doing in that. Let's keep on going. <clears throat> Second reason why we have a responsibility to protect the unborn because according to verses like Psalm 68 verse 5, we are to provide and to care for the weakest of our community. Look what he says right here. He says, God is a father of the fatherless. He is a protector of widows. And God is in His holy habitation. This is who God is. He's a God who fathers the fatherless. He protects the widows. Here's what He's saying. He's covering the weakest of our society. The fatherless have no one to provide for them. The widows have no one to provide for them. And so God is a protector of these. That's His nature. That's what He does. And if we are a reflection of God and this is what the church is, then would you agree when I say we have a responsibility to protect the unborn? I hope that you would. Psalm, let's go to another one. Psalm 82, verse 3 and 4. It says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So here again we have a responsibility to make sure that we are protecting the weakest of our community. We are, and here's the thing about it. If he considers the fatherless and the widows to be weak, if he considers that, how much more is the one that is in the womb that is unborn weak? Not only is it fatherless, but if the mother is not willing to protect it, who is? Somebody has to be able to stand up and be able to protect these that are weakest among them. And so he tells us to rescue the weak and the needy and to deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And again, the wicked is all of us. So if we have an opportunity, why shouldn't we make this happen? Psalm 139 verse 13. Look at what God says about these children that are in the womb. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Did you catch that? You did this. You formed me and you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Now I want you all to think about this for just a minute. I've said this before in a message years ago. Me and my wife have been married for 20 years. 20 years. And we have been practicing making children for 20 years. But in that 20 years, 
we have been unable to actually create life. You know why? Because no matter how much power I have or how much power my wife has, we do not have the ability to create life. See, here's the thing about it. You think that you got together with another member of the opposite sex and you think that you created life. Let me tell you something. If we had the power to create it, don't you know that me and my wife would have done had many by now? But we don't have any. Do you know why we don't have any? Because we can't form it. We can't do it. God said, He forms my inward parts. He knitted me together in my mother's womb. God did it. If you have children today, the reason you have children is because God did it. That's right. And so here's what we're doing. We're ta- in abortion, we're taking what God created, not what you did. We're taking what God created and we are choosing to shed its blood. We have a responsibility as a church to protect the weak to defend the weak, to defend the ones that are in the womb that God creates from the wicked. So the unborn have a right to life and we have the responsibility to be their defenders. And so my prayer to you this morning as Christians that you will understand one thing. It is always wrong for abortion. Now listen, I'm not talking about whenever... God takes the life of the child in the womb and then you have to have a procedure for the health of that. I'm not talking about that. God took that life. I'm talking about when the life is formed in the womb and then you make the decision to take that life. That is what angers God. That is what God says is wicked. That's what God says makes Him sick. And it happens every day. I looked up the statistics and I wished I had wrote it down, but I can't remember how many thousand babies are aborted every day in the United States. Today alone, God forgive me if I'm wrong on these numbers, and you can look them up. There's actually a uh, website, I think it's called abort73.com, something like that. It gives all the statistics of this stuff. But literally it says somewhere around 7,000. You can look that up to make sure you double check me. Every day in the United States, somewhere around 7,000 children are aborted. 7,000. 7,000 people that God created in the womb. 7,000 people that are God's children. 7,000 people that are not just tissue, but they are sons and they are daughters. They are children. And so my prayer for this church this morning is that you would recognize that first off, we have a responsibility to make sure that if we end up in those situations that we recognize that this is always wrong because it's an innocent life. No matter what the circumstances, hear me on this, whether it's rape, whether it's the health of the mother, no matter what it is. And again, I know that's easy for me to say as a man. I I get that. I hear all your arguments. I hear all the thoughts. I hear all the questions. And I sympathize. And I have compassion with you. But I'm also telling you what God's way is. 
And God says that even if it means you have to suffer in order to do my will, it is better for you to suffer in order to do the will of God than it is for you to walk your own path. Especially when it comes to sacrificing your own child in order that you might obtain something better. Today I pray that you would have a biblical understanding that abortion is a terrible, terrible atrocity that makes God sick. I pray that you would be a church that will support ministries that are trying to combat this and provide those resources and that compassion and that sympathy in every way that they can. And I pray that you would be a church that would understand that even for the things that make God sick, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. There is salvation. I want to close with uh, back in Psalm 106. I'll close with verse um, 44. Psalm 106, verse 44, and we'll go through verse 48, and this will be the end. It says, Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. In other words, whenever they saw and recognized that what they had done was so contrary to God's will, they cried out to him. And, they, and God looked upon their distress. And then in verse 45 it says, For their sake he remembered his covenant, and he relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God. I love that cry. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let the people say, Amen, and praise the Lord. Yeah, go right ahead.
We're going to have a time of invitation this morning for whatever it is. I don't want anybody to feel like that just because somebody comes to this altar that that's what they're dealing with. This is a time between you and God, whatever you want to cry out for, whatever you want to pray for, this is that opportunity to do so. But I do, again, I just pray this morning that you hear the truth of God's Word, but that you don't feel a, a condemnation and a judgment that comes from me or from this church. That's not the point. Um, uh, the point really is, guys, we're sinners. We are evil to our core. And our only hope is that God transforms us by the renewing of His Spirit in this Word. And I pray that you'll see it, you'll recognize it, and that you'll get on board as a church to help support um, a path that leads us away from this type of evil. Y'all stand this morning. Whatever you need, I welcome you to come. Humble yourself at the altar. Cry out to God for whatever it is this morning.